Hey guys, this is Drake. Thanks so much for tuning in to our City Church podcast here. It's an honor to have you. Hey, at the end of this episode, we'd love for you to take a moment, subscribe to this podcast channel if you haven't already. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel so we can continue to serve you with content that we're putting out on a weekly basis. And in addition, if we can serve you in any way or connect with you in community in any way, you can visit our website at citychurchboulder.com and we would love to connect with you there. And lastly, and most importantly, I hope this content is helpful to you. It's encouraging, it's inspiring, and you leave better than you showed up. Enjoy. City Church, it is such a privilege to be here with you. I'm so honored to be here in your presence. Thank you for having me, and thank you to Pastor Drake. It has been so fun to um, begin this friendship, and, and really the two of us have just been excited about this moment for us to really look at our own emotional health through the lens of our faith. We have faced so much collectively in the last year. I don't think, um, though I don't know you all yet, I haven't had a chance to meet you all, I I think that I could be so bold as to say that this has probably been one of the hardest years of your life. Because it has been for all of us. Before the pandemic, about 10% of Americans were experiencing symptoms of a mental illness, so something like depression or anxiety, something like that. About 10% at a time. Right now, we're about 45% of Americans are experiencing some form of, um, you know, mental struggle within their life. And we're here to talk today about how our mental health, which is usually a word that we use when we're talking about a time where we're experiencing difficulty in the way that we're mentally functioning, how that's related to our, our emotional health, which means we may not have sort of an acute crisis that's going on in our inner life, but just sort of what does our emotional landscape look like inside of us and how that intersects with a life in Christ. Is there something unequally, uh, you know, is there some unequal resource that a life in Christ has to give that is different from something like yoga or wine with friends or a 14er? Those are all really wonderful, beautiful things to care for ourselves. But is there something unique about a life in Christ? Is there something more that it offers? So to begin, I just want to, um, I just want to share, sorry, go ahead and advance too, actually. I just want to share this quote with you um, from Ariana Gallagher. She's the Associate Director of Ohio State's Stress, Trauma, and Resilience Program. Most of us are equipped to manage one crisis or maybe a couple crises, but there comes a point where our typical means of coping becomes overwhelmed. And the result is crisis fatigue. When you hear this word, crisis fatigue, I want you just to kind of ask yourself, am I feeling that right now? Am I experiencing this sense of fatigue from constantly feeling as though my life is in crisis? I look out and the world seems dangerous. I look in and my inner life scares me. I look at my family and I think, what kind of dynamic is going on right now? We're at each other's throats. We're trying to figure out how to move out into a next season of life where the world is not the same, yet we also have some more options. And we've just experienced violence in our community. I feel differently about leaving my home now than I did a year ago. What is going on inside of me? This is the experience of crisis fatigue. It is... (laughs) 
like it says, we have the ability to cope with one stressor, a couple stressors. Right now, there are so many stressors, and it's overwhelming our nervous system and our ability to cope. So crisis fatigue, what is it? We're going to talk about what it is, why it's happening to us at a physiological level. So what's going on inside of us? And um, what we can do about it. Is there something unique about the Christian faith that offers us something, a resource for this struggle? So crisis fatigue. These are some of the things that you might experience when you're experiencing crisis fatigue. So maybe some of these, not all of these. If you don't relate to any of these, there are more things that you might experience. But they, these might be some of the things that you might be experiencing. Physical and mental exhaustion, changes in sleep, changes in appetite, feeling numb or empty, feeling anxious or helpless, lack of empathy, unexplained body aches, becoming withdrawn, having difficulty working or concentrating. If you, if you look at these things and try to kind of parse them out into kind of two different categories, we can kind of describe these in two ways. So we can think about these as experiences that are hyper-functioning and hypo-functioning. So these are things that are revving up our system and making us over-function, or things that are bringing our system down to a place where we're slowing down and we're almost we're under-functioning, we're almost unable to address the stressors of our life. So irritability, hypersensitivity for hyperfunctioning, restlessness, compulsive overworking, um, being defensive or avoidant. We might be experiencing this in our families, right? Sometimes we're just like, you know, more vigilant in a, in a um, you know, a conflict. It gets more heated quickly. Um, feelings of rage, panic, or fear, and a sense that I'm just trying to survive. I'm just trying to sort of like get through this week. Ultimately, these come down to these things that are revving us up to try to feel like I can. I'm going to muscle through this. I'm going to like white knuckle through this experience, and I'm going to get through it. But ultimately, we know this is not a place where we want to live. This is not sort of a home that we want to live in in our body. Hypo-functioning, experiences of kind of like emotional numbness, escapist behaviors, the so things like binging Netflix or um, just scrolling endlessly on Instagram. While it has a place, it's not to say that that's like not in a shaming way at all, because sometimes these things can be, um, you know, can be ways of soothing ourselves. But if you find yourself like, I just was gone on an hour and a half. Where did I, like, where did I go into the interweb? I don't even know. Um, and if we feel disconnected from our identity, not being able to tend to human needs, like I know that I have felt this right with my, my kids. Sometimes I'm like, I just need you to just hold on just a moment while mommy like listens to a song. You know, if you're feeling that more and more, like, oh, I'm just feeling just drained. Slippage in self-care practices, feelings of exhaustion, fatigue. Ultimately, these lead us to sort of come to this conclusion of like, I can't. I feel like my system is shutting down and I don't have the energy that I need to show up well for my family and for the people that I care about. So these are all um, related to experiences of traumatic stress. And this kind of crisis fatigue that we're talking about is related to traumatic stress. This is kind of a buzzword right now. A lot of people are talking about trauma. And I think it's really important to separate um, two different kinds of trauma. So we can have um, trauma with kind of a big T, as in like high acuity, that something has just happened with it, that you have witnessed or that has happened to someone who was very close to you. Um, things 
um, like experiencing violence or um, having someone who has been hospitalized for COVID or having a friend who, um, you know, in your neighborhood who you know, who you have lost recently. And then there's also experiences of little t. So every time you read the news right now, it's like this little t trauma, right? It's like this little paper cut, little paper cut every time you open the news that is kind of overwhelming your system, right? Like, is it safe now? Can I, like, when, when will things feel safe again, right? These constant little t traumas that we're feeling. And then we can also feel this in primary and secondary ways, right? So like I said, you could experience a loss in your own family or you could experience um, trauma through, the, through what a friend is, is going on, right? So as all of us are experiencing these more dysregulated states, we're also experiencing that secondary <laughs> trauma that somebody else is experiencing, right? So somebody else's dysregulation is impacting us, and it's this sort of bubbling cauldron of stress and anxiety or of like shutdown and fatigue. So why is this happening to us? I think we all understand and we feel this in a way that we know that it's not just something we can sort of, uh, you know, think, well, I'm just going to pretend like this isn't happening and like my body will just feel totally at peace and at rest and my mind will be very calm. And we also can have great faith and have um, just a joyful relationship in Christ and still be feeling some of these things. So why? Why is, why is this happening? So I, I want you to think back to um, like high school biology and you, you know, heard about these sort of responses that our bodies can have around rest or fight and flight, right? So think about like, I've gotten these images, an Impala who's, you know, on the savanna and is with the herd and is experiencing this sort of restful state in this first image is unaware of threat. It's experiencing rest. Um, we call this a kind of like rest and digest kind of state. In this state, your muscles are relaxed. You're ready to attend to things um, that are social and that are pleasurable, like eating and engaging with others. And this is a restful state. Now, we also learned in our you know, high school biology class about this idea of like fight or flight, that your system can be engaged in a way to deal with threat where it's primed and ready to, to go, to take off. I've, I've put up like a yellow light for here because we all know that yellow means go faster, right? It's like, go for it, get through the light. So it's yellow light, it doesn't mean slow down, right? So um, that is our kind of like yellow light experience. And then finally, there's actually a third state that a lot of us don't learn about in school because it's actually been uh, something that's been studied and we really understand a lot more in the last 10 um, years or so. And we refer to this as a freeze or shutdown state. And so I've got here a red light. So if you, I, I don't know if many of you have had a chance to see an impala being attacked in the wild, probably not. But what happens, <laughs> what happens when this big cat actually gets a hold of this impala is that the impala will freeze and shut down. All of its muscles will go limp and it will go into this self-protective state of shutdown. Um, and so we often think about fight or flight, right? We can like relate to that idea of like go, but there's also this state of shutdown when your nervous system gets overwhelmed by threat and it seems as though, and your body will select this strategy. It's not like a conscious thing. It will just select the strategy of shutdown because it seems like the threat, there's no, there's no point in trying to flight in this situation when the big cat has its jaws in you. That will actually probably 
do more damage than if you just shut down. So the only thought here for the Impala is shut down and try to get to a place where, you know, if another like threat to the animal comes in, maybe it's going to leave you alone. It's kind of like a last-ditch strategy. So as, um, as social beings, we also can be triggered into this kind of shutdown state, not necessarily because we're actually like in the jaws of a lion. It can also be just because we feel isolated. Because as social beings, being isolated is an extremely big threat, right? We need each other. And so we can experience this kind of feeling and also this kind of um, response in our body based on things that are of a social nature, such as isolation, loneliness, uh, a sense of being disconnected and out of community or not belonging. And right now, that is something that all of us are asking questions about, like, how do I belong to a community? How do I reconnect with people that I maybe haven't seen in a year? What, what does my social circle look like? So go ahead and advance for me. So our autonomic nervous system is the system in our body that controls these kinds of responses. And we share this with the Impala, though we have, you know, it's different. It's, it's got similarities, but it's not exactly the same, right? So things like the Impala doesn't necessarily experience, like I said, that kind of um, emotional distress and shutdown for social reasons, whereas humans can. So our autonomic nervous system, the name autonomic comes from this idea of automatic. These are things that happen within our body without us consciously willing them to happen. And there are functions like our heart rate, our digestion, our blood glucose level, our adrenaline, all of these things. And they're mediated by our emotions. So all these things happen and originate in like the brainstem. So if we can think about it as kind of like right here and, and go down and then up in our body, right through our central nervous system. All these messages go up and down and up and down. And then our kind of midbrain, our emotional brain, is kind of helping us interpret what it is that we are seeing and experiencing in the world to figure out, is this a threat or not? And do I need to like trigger this system or not? So we have two different systems and you can think about them as the brakes and the gas. So the brakes are known as um, this kind of uh, parasympathetic system, this rest or digest kind of system. Um, and then our sympathetic system is our fight flight or freeze response. And the thing that we've come to see in the last 10 years of research is that this para parasympathetic system doesn't only bring us into rest and digest, it can bring us into this freeze state as well. So it can go to this other place where it just kind of shuts down. So think about it as kind of two systems, one to kind of ramp up, one to ramp down, but in many ways kind of three different modes, that green light, yellow light, red light. And one thing I want to point out is that our breath is one, is a really important part of those systems. And it's the only thing that we can actually consciously think about. Those other functionings, such as your blood, close, blood glucose or your um, heart rate, things like that, they are not, we're not able to will them to change. Whereas your breath is a part of that, a part of that process that you can actually think about. So when we think about these modes, if we think about green, yellow, and red, it's kind of like being modes. It's similar to like when you have a mode in a car. Um, I don't know if any of you are car people and really into that, but I know there's some beautiful cars in Boulder, so maybe. <laughs> um, so if you think about like in a really sporty car, you might have sport mode, or you might have race mode or city mode or something like that, and it's gonna engage all the different systems in the car 
it's going to prime them for a different kind of reactivity, right? So it's going to, you know, if you're in city mode, it's going to prepare the steering and the braking and um, all that differently than if you're, say, in sport mode or some other mode, right? And it's the same with our bodies. When we come into these parasympathetic or, um, you know, kind of shut down mode, if we come into this sort of red light mode, we are going to be experiencing the world and taking in information really differently than if we're in a different mode. So go ahead and advance, thanks. Um, and we've been learning about this, these processes through something called polyvagal theory. So this is a theory that developed about 12 years ago um, by a guy named Porges, uh, Stephen Porges, and um, has been developed by lots of other uh, theorists, but you know, kind of in the space of like neurobiology, neurophysiology, um, but it's also become really important for like clinical mental health and psychology and been brought into all these different fields. And so in polyvagal theory, um, what, we, what we learned about is how the vagus nerve actually sort of mediates all these responses that we've just been talking about. So the vagus nerve is going to run from the brainstem down into all these different organs that we've been talking about that can react in different ways. So down into our lungs, our heart, um, you know, our endocrine system, liver, digestive system, all of these things. And there's actually a lot of... Um, it's not just that this vagus nerve and this sort of dialogue in your body is going down, but it's also going up, right? So you can actually be noticing things like your body might notice that your stomach is getting kind of like kind of flippy or um, nervous, and that's going to be giving data uh, sort of back up as well. So there's ways in which your body is just having this conversation all the time about its perception of the world around it and what's happening. And are there threats? Am I safe? What's happening to me? All right, go ahead and advance. Thank you. So this, this idea of um, sort of constantly detecting what is going on in our world is the idea of neuroception. So it's a subconscious system for detecting threat, and our bodies take in the data and select a mode. So based on what's going around and these different sort of sensory experiences that we're having, our body's going to select this green, yellow, or red mode. And this is happening throughout our day. So you know this when you're driving your car. You're like driving along, you're kind of in green, you're just kind of resting, you're doing fine. And all of a sudden you see, uh, you know, this, this like truck come out, you know, maybe in your peripheral vision. Before you're even able to be like, oh, there's a truck, maybe I should hit the brakes. Like you're going to like react to that, right? And you might notice that your heart rate's gone up and you've been put into yellow mode all of a sudden because there's been this threat and you're trying to avoid danger. So depending on your autonomic state, your body's going to transform and different systems are going to get activated. And your state will, you know, like I said before, impact how you perceive the world. So go ahead and advance. Let's look at each state. So green, when we're in rest, this is an experience of safety. Our heart rate slows, our digestion is stimulated, facial muscles are activated. We have increased vocal prosody. That means sort of like the pitch and range of our voice. Um, and also our eye contact is more focused. And our middle ear actually turns on to sort of better hear the human voice and sort of the mid-range pitches of human voice and that, and that sound. Whereas when we're in yellow, this hyperarousal, when our body is primed to be reacting to danger um, and, we, and we sense threat, and we have our fight or flight system engaged, where our pain tolerance increases, we're not gonna be as aware of like, pain to our body. We might have more flat facial affect. 
Um, so like the ways in which our face just sort of emotes and, and, and that's actually a very connecting thing is to have this real affect and animated face. Um, our increased vocal prosody and eye contact, sorry, that's actually wrong. Let's <laughs> take that out. And then middle ear muscles are tuned to more of like the low and high pitches and, and sort of a different frequency than where like the human voice. So in green, we're gathering near and we're connecting, we're feeling safety, we're sharing that with others, we're helping each other feel regulated. And then in yellow, we're like attuned to other things, right? We're trying to, we're actually trying to look for other threats. We're like, is there more threat? Is the threat over? I'm, I'm trying to find other data and, and human voice isn't as much of what might be priming that threat, right? So we're like looking for other things. And then in red, when we're in hypoarousal, this is um, that overwhelming threat experience. We hit the emergency brake. It's like our body just says, shut down. This is too much to handle. And so let's just break. It, we go into immobilization, numbness, shutdown, or even death feigning, sort of like a like pretending like, like we're dead, which obviously might look a little different than just like, you know, <laughs> like that. But it's sort of like almost this experience of disconnection, right? Or I'm, I'm just, um, some people describe it as a sort of out-of-body experience, and this is known as dissociation. So you might actually sort of like sometimes be like, where, where am I? Like, I feel like disconnected from my body, or I just don't really feel aware of like what's going on in my body. So when we think about um, these three different states, if we can imagine this, this green, this peaceful state as the sort of just more like I am. I'm here, I exist, I'm at peace, I'm at rest. And then when we experience a threat, we might get triggered into this fight or flight. And we might experience things like irritation, concern, worry, anger, fear, rage, even if we get to this really elevated state, um, or even panic or terror. And if our bodies perceive that we can't sort of deal with the stressor through that, we might go into this freeze, immobility, shut down, I can't. So go ahead and advance, thanks. So, so what's, what we're experiencing right now is obviously ever-constant feeling of threat, right? We read the newspaper, we have violence in our community, we're trying to work through relationships and our family, and we're feeling like there's this always threat around us. And when we get stuck in these feelings of overwhelm, it's because we're trying to get out of yellow and red, and we just don't know if we have the resources to do that. We don't know if we're safe again, right? Am I, is there still a threat? Do I still need to be looking out and attending to what's around me, looking for danger? And so the only way we're gonna get unstuck the only way we are going to come out of these protective modes is to realize that we are safe and that we can be safe, but it's, it's going to look different, right? It can't be the way it was before. It can't be based on this sense of like, well, I can go into a place without a mask or I can, um, you know, walk down the street and just know that my body will be safe we're going to have to reach out for something else that's going to help us to feel safety. So what do we do about it? How do we establish a sense of felt safety in an, unsa in an unsafe world? We're becoming more aware of the reality that was actually already there, that our world is not always safe. 
and that we really need each other in order to experience a sense of peace and safety in an unsafe world. So Pete Scazzaro, he, he wrote a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality that I'd really recommend that you check out. Um, he says in this book, a kind of pithy comment, that the body is a major and not a minor prophet. If you are new to Christianity or somebody who's kind of still just processing your thoughts around faith, you might be like, what, exa what exactly is going on with this? Um, the idea of a prophet in scripture is someone who really sort of like the mouthpiece of God, who speaks into the world um, important things for people to know that are of God. And what he's saying here is that our bodies are actually a way in which God wants to speak to us. God wants to speak to us through our bodies. If you are noticing in your body that you feel unsafe, that you feel triggered, that you feel like you're constantly caught in this state of hyper or hypoarousal, there is no shame in that. There's just no shame. And God wants to meet you in that. He is speaking to you through your body. He is saying, I want to offer you peace and safety. I want to make that available to you. So how do we tap into that? How do we tap into the peace and safety that we can have in faith? In order to win the war in our mind, which is what we're going to be talking about for this next month, how can we do this? How can we tap into this, to this strength? We have to move forward with peace in our body. And we have to invite the Holy Spirit into our body to feel a felt sense of peace so that we can really engage our whole mind-body in our experiences of faith. So let's talk about the things that keep us stuck, the things that are not helpful to us in this quest. Continuous activity, numbing behaviors, isolating behaviors, constant stressful situations, and looking for another threat instead of rejoining the herd. So this isn't to say, like, you have to come to church on Sundays. That's the only way that you're going to have a felt sense of peace is if you're actually in with the herd or, you know, in with the flock. Um, no, that's not what, it, what I'm saying here. But it's saying you need connection right now. Your body needs connection right now. And you need other people who are going to help your body regulate and, and try to have that felt sense of peace and safety. God wants that for you. God has designed you for community, and, and he's for you in that. Avoiding things like, um, you know, if you're identifying numbing behaviors in your life, they're, they're, again, there's no shame in that, but it's time to like work through that because it's not helping you to move forward. So starting to think about what do I actually need here to move forward, to have an experience of community that's going to help me experience more safety. So things that um, are going to be helpful to us are things that are going to expand our window. So um, this concept is the idea of, like, think about if you could sort of expand your experience of green, right? Could you have kind of a higher threshold before you go right into yellow? Right now, all of our, what we call our window of tolerance has been, strunk, has been shrunk by this crisis, this constant crisis and this constant sense that threat isn't going away. So if we want to expand and, and kind of increase what we often talk about as like resilience, this idea that we can sort of move through things um, that are hard without feeling necessarily pulled into these really reactive spaces. Um, we have to think about how we, what we need in order to experience this more sort of smooth sailing uh, experience. So hyperarousal, when we get pulled into this hyperarousal um, or pulled 
into hypoarousal, you could also kind of model it in this way, like before we saw kind of like this curve, but instead think about it as maybe like green in the middle and yellow on top or red below. You can almost bounce between the two spaces when you're in this really reactive and kind of like uh, dysregulated state. Sometimes you'll be really anxious and then you'll shut down or you'll be really hypervigilant and then you'll have no energy and you'll be really exhausted. And so what we're trying to do is almost like expand this window of what we can tolerate and what we can take. We're wanting to be more resilient and we're wanting to see what our faith can offer to us in that. So in order to expand that window, um, any, anybody who's working in, in this space of you know, clinical mental health, psychology, um, neuroscience is going to tell you the things that you need, we often refer to as like self-care. And some people will kind of balk at the term self-care. They're like, kind of like mm, it seems like self-indulgent or something like that. Um, but really, this is the idea of like, these are the things that are going to care for your body and for your mind in order to expand that window. So things like physical activity, creativity, laughing, crying, physical affection, and deep breathing. So we talked before about how breathing is actually the only function in your body, um, in that autonomic nervous system, and, and sort of the, the things that might get engaged that you can actually think about and control. So when you breathe in, it actually revs up your sympathetic nervous system. And when you breathe out, it actually engages your parasympathetic nervous system. So there's things that you can do in the way that you're breathing. So if you're feeling really shut down, you could be taking really big inhales and a little bit shorter exhales. Or if you're feeling like really activated and really, you know, in this sort of like hypervigilant state, you can take a shorter in inhalation and a longer exhalation. These are like little simple things that we can be doing um, to try to just be aware of our body and how our body is interacting um, with our mind, how these things are actually, this mind-body is actually united. So some things um, that, uh, oh, sorry. So, and then also this idea of co-regulation. So I said before about how important it is to stop looking for a threat, not that, I mean, you know, we continue to attend to threats, but to realize how important it is to come back to the herd, because the herd is the place where we experience co-regulation. So co-regulation is um, being regulated and having our nervous systems regulate with other people. So the most difficult emotions, things like in that most hyper-elevated state, right, like rage, shame, and uh, grief, helplessness, can be really difficult to go through alone. We can feel so overwhelmed by those emotions that we really um, just need someone. We need someone with us in those emotions. And so the people that can be the most helpful for us in trying to um, experience that sense of co-regulation are obviously the people that are closest to us, like our family. But sometimes, um, sometimes it's good to look outside of our, our immediate family, the people that we're living with, because um, sometimes our states are kind of, you know, they can kind of bounce off of each other because of that neuroception that we we're talking about before. So if you're feeling really, really elevated and really like, wow, I'm just in a, I'm in a tough place. Um, sometimes going to somebody outside of your family is really helpful. So that's why um, something like therapy is so helpful because you're going to someone who's not feeling dysregulated about the same things as you, right? They're able to show up in a really regulated way. They're coming to you and attending to what's, you know, what's going on inside of you. Um, 
a spiritual director is also um, sort of like a soul companion um, that's a tradition within the Christian faith of somebody who's not a therapist, not somebody who is there to um, offer clinical mental health or coming from that discipline, but really just someone who's there to lit to listen and to bravely witness your story and what's you know what's going on for you. Um, and then finally, your city group. City group is a beautiful place to come to receive this kind of care and co-regulation where you can share what's going on, where you can receive uh, from others. And also caring for others can be deeply regulating as well because you're, you're pouring out, you're connecting, you're, you're um, seeing each other in the pain and you feel less alone in it. You experience that companion with you in the pain. And so another practice that can be really helpful is um, just a simple breath prayer because of what we talked about before about breath. Um, beginning even with just like, just try this, you know, for five minutes in the morning and then maybe increase that time if you, if you want to. But just choose, choose something that um, feels really meaningful to you. Sometimes I like to choose like a scripture or something that I want to really hold on to, to just work with your breath and just reach out for the presence of God through that. So things like, Jesus, let me feel your love. Taking that inhale, Jesus, let me feel your love. Bringing that out. Um, there's lots of different ways you can do this. And I, I've told Drake before, my breath prayer for this season has been, God, help. <laughs> I feel like that has been the most simple and most honest thing that I have been able to say is, God, help. I am in real need of your presence in this moment. I am just overwhelmed. And this is a beautiful way that we can pray without ceasing. And finally, if you, if, if any of this is landing on you today, like, yeah, I've been experiencing this. I am, I am feeling this, this sort of like constant, you know, bouncing between yellow and red, and maybe I'll, I'll feel at peace at, at some point, but if you're, if you're here, I want you to know that not only is, is City Church here for you in that, to co-regulate with you, to be with you in that experience of overwhelm, but, but there's one who's gone before you and who has experienced it for you, who will not leave you. When Jesus, uh, the night before Jesus was crucified, he was with his friends and he was having a really, you know, a really meaningful dinner with them. Not long after that, he retreated and he went to a garden to pray. And he brought a few friends with him. Jesus went into his disciples and he said, sorry, he, to the place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee with him. And he began to feel sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. So Jesus, you know, sometimes we're like, who is this God-man? How do we relate to this God-man? This is a beautiful moment where he is showing you that he has been in every experience with you. He, knowing all that would unfold, knowing what he had to do, came the night before and was overwhelmed and asked for friends to be with him in it. I don't think we often pay attention to this point in, this, in the scripture that he asked his friends to be with him. Often we'll kind of like poke fun at the friends because they end up falling asleep. They end up not being able to handle the extreme pressure. I think they probably shut down. And we often kind of focus on like that they somehow failed him. But he, he won't do that for you. 
He went to the cross. He faced all of this, all of this overwhelming experience so that he would know your pain and so that he could be with you in it. And so you won't have to experience this feeling alone. You have community and you have him. And he's only a breath away. So if you would just pray with me now. God, help. God, help. We are experiencing things in our bodies and our minds that completely overwhelm us. And we need you to be our our supernatural resource. We need to know that you've faced this all before. And that through your death and resurrection, you have established a safety for us that we can find nowhere else. God, help us to know we're safe again. That we're always safe. Not because there's anything that we can do in this life to try to ensure that threats will never come our way or to move through this season any differently or have it unfold any differently than it has. But because the story doesn't end here. We're safe because you have defeated death. There is no end to your love. You will be with us always. You will never forsake us. God, help us to know we are safe in your loving arms. And that you have faced overwhelm alone so that we don't have to. God help.